It is well with our soul because God works all things to the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Amen. Well, Charlie's on vacation. <clears throat> the last time they saw Daniel, he was behind the Thai, Thai food booth over at Mountain Fair. So I'm all you got today. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time to be ready. <clears throat> I have the privilege today of speaking to you about the life and spiritual principles of Steve White. Uh, Steve has been one of my best friends for 30 plus years. You probably remember him. Throw that picture, first picture up. Uh, Steve would meet you at the door at the orchard and uh, would make you feel welcome. How many of you have ever been met by Steve? Okay, great, great, great. So Steve, in 19, starting in 2012, began a slowly progressing dementia, which took a toll until last summer, last fall. He uh, is now in assisted living in Arizona, uh, nearby his daughter. He uh, is healthy. He's fairly happy. He doesn't really know much of anybody anymore. Which is very sad because you see, Steve White was one of the smartest guys I've ever known. Now, he's a smart aleck too, but one of the smartest guys. <clears throat> Steve was a national um, best salesperson for Culligan uh, when he worked for uh, the Donnellys here and uh, had the territory Aspen uh, down into Glenwood. And then he was made the national sales trainer for Culligan. That would take some smarts, right? And he did an incredible job at that. What he didn't do so good of a job of was fulfilling his intentions as a boy. You see, Steve grew up in a broken home. A neglectful father, abusive mother. And at age 14, he, after his mother had chased him around the kitchen with a knife, he took his younger son and went to live with his dad and stepmother, which is kind of like going from the frying pan to the fire. Wasn't really good either. And then, so to get out of all that, he joined the Navy right after high school. And uh, he's claustrophobic and doesn't like tight spaces, and they assigned him to a submarine. <laughs> <clears throat> he prayed to God, God, if you'll change this, I'll believe in you. Because he spent a lot of time hiding in the uh, chapel there on the base to keep out of kitchen duty and things. And sure enough, the, the orders got changed, and Steve became a believer in Jesus Christ. But he came out of his childhood with some goals in mind, as most of us do. His intentions were, because he had been raised in a difficult family, he was going to be the best husband there ever was. And the best father. And those were his intentions. Well, a couple of years, well, 2012, this book came out blinded by good intentions. Now, how could that be? I mean, how, what could go wrong if your intentions are to be the best father and best husband that you can be? What could possibly go wrong? What happened was, and Steve talks about this, he uh, did kind of a follow-up book that didn't get published. Here's why he said that his intentions <clears throat> all went haywire. Because you see, when he was uh, married, with, this was maybe the mid-90s, he went to his family to see how he was doing on being the best husband and best father. This is in the front of his book. Now, at the end of the service, we're going to pass out a book, this book, to every one of you. We have a bunch left over. And if you don't want to read it, take it and give it to someone. Someone unsuspecting. They won't know. But it would be really good if you, I think you, you'll find a great benefit in reading a book about this guy, Steve White. So he went to his family after he'd been married for a while. His kids were, uh, I think, in middle school and elementary school. I wanted to improve his dad and husband. I asked my family their opinion about me. Now, don't try this at home. <clears throat> I 
I went in the front yard with my daughter. She was seven. She said, I want to ask you a question and a true answer. I promise I won't get mad if you tell me the truth. Honey, what do you think I'm like as your dad? And instantly she responded, Dad, you're a macho know-it-all jerk. She took a, I took a step backward. That wasn't what I expected. Remember his intention. So he went to uh, inside to ask his son. Same question. He said, now I'm angry. I, uh, his son said, you are a macho, know-it-all, loudmouth jerk. Uh, he said, I bet they've been collaborating on this. This just doesn't sound. So he went and asked his wife. And uh, she said, uh, well, you blank, of course you're a jerk. I've been telling you that for years. So Steve realized that his best intentions had not been coming about the way that he hoped and expected. Now, why? He wrote this down, kind of a summary of why his good intentions didn't work. Basically, it comes down to two things. To achieve his intentions. Other people were involved in these intentions, wife, kids. He had to be controlling. And when people did not respond to being controlled, he had to become angry to enforce that control. Now, how's that going to work? Well, he, he maintained these operational mandates for probably 20 years. I was controlling people at jobs. I was trying to make everyone work the way I wanted immediately. When things weren't working out, I was getting angry, reacting. I was judging people, trying to control people. I wasn't patient, wasn't trusting. I was blaming others. Now, those of you who knew Steve White since 2000, you're probably thinking, well, that, that doesn't sound like him. He was always kind of funny. Uh, back in the 80s, uh, he showed up with his wife and family at church at Redstone, where we were at the time. <clears throat> Apparently what had happened, they had moved to the western slope, and they were living at Parachute. He went to the gym down there in the community center one day to shoot baskets. He said it was empty, except for one guy. And one guy came in, and Steve at that time whatever reason. His, his wife had a lot of illness, and he was probably trying to get away. He was upset with this guy in his gym. <clears throat> he said, the guy came up to me. He said, you ought to go to church at Redstone. Steve had not said a word to him. It's the first thing the guy said to Steve. And Steve looked at him and just got madder. What do you mean telling me church at Redstone? We live in parachute. The guy left. Well, years later, when Steve and his wife moved up the crystal, they showed up at church. And Steve was looking for a friend and a mentor. And as much as I tried to get out of it, I guess I was the one who was chosen. <clears throat> so we began working together. Steve and I would hike and hike together some and run together. And uh, his... His uh, relationship with his wife was, you could describe, tumultuous. He and she both would say they could hardly ever get in the car to go anywhere without big arguments breaking out. They disagreed over a lot of things. Rebecca and I worked with them for uh, a while, but there just didn't seem to be a, an improvement or a lessening of the anger that was present in the relationship. By the way, my wife isn't here today. You haven't seen her much this summer. She had an autoimmune reaction to something, and it causes her lips to swell and be inflamed, which is very uncomfortable. She has to eat without touching her lips. And so she's gone to several doctors. She's uh, on a uh, regimen of medication right now. So be praying for Rebecca. It is very unpleasant, uncomfortable for her, and I miss her around here. And she is not... Uh, doing real well. She's, she's hurt. So, um, in Steve, like I told you, was uh, working with Culligan and moved up toward Redstone. 
And then they moved down to Newcastle after that, and that's where he asked his family about what they thought about him because the marriage was souring. And finally, in um, 1999-2000, his wife left him and took their daughter, moved to Arizona. And his son at the time was in jail. So, as you can imagine, Steve was sitting by himself in his house in Park East, Park West, I forget what it's called. And there was a turnaround in his life, and uh, he wrote about it in his book. And, and this is a critical turning point for any of us. See if you can describe what this is. My divorce provides a good example. I was, it was heartbreaking. I lost my daughter and son. For days, I was in a deplorable condition. I eventually chose not to focus on all the negatives regarding my wife and marriage. And before that, we get together, and he would start complaining about his wife. I said, Steve, we're not talking about her problems. The only person we can work on is you, just you. I began to look at my own problems instead of replaying what was wrong with my marriage. Uh, I replayed the things I learned after I discovered what was wrong with me. I began to look at my own problems. And he began to see how there could be changes. Then he goes from there <coughs> to Romans 8.28. <coughs> you can put that up there. If you knew Steve, you knew that if you had a very long conversation, he would tell you all things work to the good of those who are called by God and love him. And he says, um, if you have your mind set on what God's Spirit desires, we know all things God works for the good of those who love him and been called according to his purpose. I can say that from my own experience that if we are open to hearing and learning from God, we will get new thoughts and new insights. God has promised to work all things to the good of those who love him. is something we should replay in our minds. Now the reason he can replay that in his mind is because Steve became so convinced of how deeply God loved him. The other thing he would say to you from John 17, if he talked to you very long, he would say, God loves you like he loves Jesus. Now, I've been to seminary and studied the Bible a lot, but this was kind of fresh and new for me, a new look on it. But Steve became convinced from John 17 that God loved him like God loves Jesus. Now, think about that for a moment. Do you think God the Father loved Jesus? Can you believe that God the Father loves you like he loves Jesus? That's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? But if it's true, and he's working all things to the good for you, then you can have a whole different outlook on life. Instead of trying to change things and getting all upset, you can have peace and joy. Steve says, from Romans 12, 1, 12, 2, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what's so important about this, and Steve would tell, how many of you guys were with Steve on his Tuesday night men's group? How many of you guys have been there? Okay. Um, he would tell them, probably, did you, every Tuesday night, remember every day, all day, to think about, how much God loves you, and don't focus on the negative thoughts, right? I mean, he would say that every week because it's so true. If you had a computer hooked up to your mind and you're able to actually print your thoughts out during a day, how many of those would be about how much God loves you, how he's taken care of you, and how you can trust him? How much of your thoughts would be about problems and negatives, about yourself, about others, and about life? Well, you can see in that equation, at the end of the day, if a person has focused or mainly thought about their problems, other people's problems, the negatives in life, that person's life is going to be diminished and eventually perhaps destroyed. Steve lived that way until 1999-2000 when he began to learn and understand how God works this thing. Now, here are his... Um, basics, I think 
I can tell you a story, a true story about what happened with his son, because one morning about four o'clock, I got a phone call. It was Steve. He said, my son shot someone, and what should we do? I said, well, I th- I, where is he? He's, he's here. Well, I think you ought to take him to the police station. I'll meet you there. So we called Charlie, and we met with Steve. Now, here's how this rolled out. Four in the morning, God awoke me and said, go open your house's front door. Now, this is after his wife had left. His daughter's gone. His son was living with him. I did. I saw my son and another kid standing there. I could tell there had been a disaster. I asked my son, what's going on? He said, I just shot a guy with your shotgun, Dad, and I think he's dead. The guy was in a drug deal we had just outside about a mile from house. He had a gun and smacked my friend. Dad, before the drug deal, I had taken your shotgun and I was going to go sell drugs. I put the gun in, your, in my car. While I was sitting in the front seat, the guy that was terrible was standing five feet outside the front door. My friend, who's standing with me now, was outside the car on the ground below the door. The guy had his gun on my friend's head, had already hit him in the face with it, and then I shot this guy point blank. It hit his chest because he had his gun, he carrying his gun like that. And when I shot him, he blew back into the bush. He's on the ground and I think he's dead. Then we, were, then we ran away and we came home. Now that's the way to wake up at four in the morning, right? <clears throat> so uh, prior to me telling this, I've been praying, Steve says, for true insight about what God would do. Um, I told my son, we need to go to the police station and, and confess. Uh, my son said to the other kid, I agree with my dad. I'm finally going to do what my dad is telling me. I'm not running away. The other kid ran away, and Steve said he got arrested the next day, and his life was a disaster. Disaster was one of Steve's words, right? If you knew Steve very well. Prior to driving to the police department, when I was driving, I was praying, asking God, keep me and my son on the right path. And I remember God's promise. He works all things to the good for those who love him. My thoughts were like this. I was praying. Now, this is a guy driving his son to the police station after his son has just shot a guy and probably killed him. These are Steve's thoughts. And it's true because I was there and I know how he was operating and what he was thinking. I prayed that I would love my son at the best level until I died. I would spend my whole life going to the prisons he would be in for his whole life. I would have my son realize the love in me was from God and that my son's life in jail would be on the right path with God, that his life would be as good as possible in prison for his whole life. So he pretty well had just resigned himself. Uh, he took his, took his son there. Uh, while at the police department, they pulled him apart and they told their stories. Now this is Steve's, th- we're sitting there waiting while they're uh, uh, interviewing Ian. I had a true spiritual thought. It gave me an emotion that I never knew I would have during this worst life event that I experienced. And here's the emotion, joy. Now, if you have, if you have joy sitting in a situation like that, it's not coming from the situation. I wasn't laughing, but it was true joy. I couldn't fake that joy was real in me. And I asked God, why do I have joy? I then got the most incredible realization of my joy. It was that I loved my son. I had no anger, fear, or judgment toward him. Even though I was concerned, sad, and teary-eyed, I realized that I had no negative thoughts about him because I knew for sure how loved he was by me and my love was from God. I knew God loved my son. I personally knew I had God's promise that he works all things to the good in my life, even if my son's events and outcomes were disasters. I was experiencing God working my lifestyle toward my son to the good because my son had a drug lifestyle and during this event, he wanted a life change. I kept praying for my son that God would put him on the right path. Now, this is true because I was there with Steve. Can you imagine, what it would, what it would, now Steve was a, a regular guy. He wasn't an ordained minister or anything. But Steve had immersed himself in God's Word. 
and in prayer and in ministry and discipling other people. So that the presence of Jesus had so deeply resided within him so that when life really gave a shaking up, what was in there came out and that was joy. And you can't fake that. You can't fake it. Um, <clears throat> the Bible says joy is the priority of God in our life. And he says, his love keeps no record of wrongs, but rejoices with the truth. And I'll explain this to you in a moment. This is one of his other uh, maxims. Two friends of mine came, and he tells about us being there. The chief of police walked in and said, there must be a God looking out for your kid. I just talked to the guy your son shot. He was walking around the hospital. And Steve, for instance, I almost fell out of my chair when Terry Wilson said that. He was hit in the heart area by the wadding from the shotgun shell. The wad burned a hole through the fleece jacket and burned the skin at his heart level, but there were no pellets or marks on his chest. The pellets were stuck in the fleece jacket. This is the police chief saying, I think the hand of God saved this guy. Oh, <laughs> we were all shocked <clears throat> and amazed. <clears throat> Um, while sitting at the police department, I felt like I was sitting in God's lap with his arms around me. I remembered thinking that feeling this way was not normal in my previous lifestyle. I was on that path of joy, and I wondered if something miraculous was going to happen. I had no temptation to focus on or replay all the negative thoughts about my son, the drug dealing, and all that stuff. All it kept producing was God's realizations of his promise to me of joy, peace, and he works all things to the good. Now, believe it or not, his son <coughs> only spent 90 days in county jail for discharging a firearm at a drug deal. The other people involved went to prison. Years later, Steve talked to some friends in, in Glenwood because this was publicized in Glenwood. Everybody knew about it. And two friends mentioned five years later um, that they had heard from somebody else in town. They told my friends that they had heard the relationship they heard about between his son who shot someone and his father was very encouraging based on the father helping his son be honest and open in telling the police everything he had done. The son's candor, talking, being willing to be honest, and because of that, his treatment by the uh, police and by the, 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 the legal section was so that he only served 90 days in the county. And, and, and that's miraculous. The story got around <clears throat> that it was because, now listen to this, it was because of the presence of a loving father who was encouraging and being there for his son in such a way that they could tell a difference. They've seen a lot of people come to jail with their kids. This guy was different. And Steve wasn't like that before. He did not have that within him before. Here are, here are his primary, uh, you can write these down if you want. First of all, how loved I am by God. If you knew that, now we, around here we say love God and love people. And that's certainly true. But if you love God and don't get that sense of his love for you, it's going to be very difficult for you to love people. Or love yourself. So Steve became very aware how loved I am by God. He loves me like Jesus. That would change your life, your mood, and attitude if you were to think on that, meditate on that. Secondly, God works all things to the good. Romans 8, 28. Now if you know God loves you, and you know He works all things to the good for you who love Him called according to his purpose, how can you be in the midst of a stressful situation? 
you can be at peace. God loves me. He's working this out for my good. I don't have to jump around. I don't have to get all upset and angry. I don't have to run away. I can be at peace. Okay, so that's the second thing. The third thing is love keeps no record of wrongs. Now that's in 1 Corinthians 13, if you want to put that up there. Love is patient, love is kind. But then it says love... Go ahead to the next part. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How many of us, part of our thinking during a day, is replaying an offense that someone did against us? And in that replaying, we either uh, retaliate or say something back to the person. We're angry or upset. Love keeps no record of wrongs. What if you what if you clean the slate of every wrong that anyone has ever done you? What if you forgave everyone who's ever offended you or hurt you? What would your what would what would the state health of your soul be if you were to forgive and not carry around a record of all the wrongs that everybody's ever done to you? Would you be free? I mean, would you be freer? But see, the second part of that is that God keeps no record of my wrongs, so I don't have to keep a record of my wrongs. Did you know there is no record of your wrongs in heaven? Think about that for a moment. There is no list of your sins in heaven. Why? Because Jesus suffered the punishment and forgave them all. How about if you don't keep replaying all the stupid things that you've done in your life? What if you don't keep a record of your own wrongs? Okay, so heart, soul, health. You wiped out all the wrongs and offenses that others have done to you by forgiving them. And because of God's love for you and your forgiveness, you have wiped clean the slate of any wrongs that you've ever done. You've gone to make amends where you need to. But your heart is now free of replaying and remembering wrongs and offenses that bring hurt and pain. Would that make a difference? Yeah. And then uh, the next one is uh, every day, all day, think on how much God loves you. Not the negative stuff. So this just kind of follows up. Remember how God loves you. Go in the Word. Read about it. Soak it in. Meditate. Don't think about Don't be, don't be uh, obsessed with thinking about the problem you're presently facing. What's going to happen? Worry and fear. <clears throat> think on God. And then, number five, be open to receive the truth because love rejoices with the truth. <laughs> Steve told me, He said, you know, sometimes the truth is not pleasant. Sometimes when God reveals things to me I need to hear, it's not pleasant. It is something wrong I need to correct. Now, God doesn't keep a list of it. He just whispers it to you, not in a condemning way, but in a way so that you can be free of it. It's like exposing a shackle on your leg so that you can take it off. So Steve said, be open to insight When God reveals to you lots of stuff, good things, but also when he reveals to you something you need to change. How many of us like to hear our faults brought to our attention? And sometimes it's done by other people. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that criticism. That really helps me understand better what I need to look at, what I need to work on. Now, when you're free, when you know God loves you, He's working everything out to your good. And when you keep remembering how much He loves you, and you don't keep a record of anybody's wrongs, including yourself, and somebody brings you a criticism, pointing out something wrong within you, you're free. You can say, I really want to hear this, honestly, because if there's something keeping me from being the man or woman God wants me to be, I want to know what it is. And I want to make it good. 
God will forgive me and he will empower me to overcome this difficulty. Would that be freedom? Steve White, after the worst disasters any of us could ever face, lived a life of freedom and joy. And those of you who know him know that that's certainly true. So Steve began this learning these things in the year of 2000. And, and Steve and I began camping a lot and taking guys camping with us. We would spend hours discussing God and things and problems that people faced and praying for people, working with guys around a campfire. And Steve just began. And now all the time, remember, he was flying out of Eagle usually or Aspen all over America leading uh, Culligan training seminars. And he would come back and tell me about the people he had met. You see, when Steve taught how to sell, it wasn't the old adversary selling, where, where you, you know, the salesperson is, it was advocate selling. And he taught biblical principles to salespeople, but they didn't know they were biblical. And then he would go riding with them on sales, or talking with them, and he would actually disciple people in Minneapolis, Atlanta, L.A., individual people, and they would open their heart to him. He would tell them about these things all over America. And sometimes we'd be sitting in camp where there was cell service. Phone would ring, and some guy from Canada is calling because he and his wife are having difficulties. He puts it on speaker. We go through this thing with the guy. Steve was so consistent wherever he was through his job as national sales trainer, hundreds of people, through many of you here who knew him. And there was one instance of what happened in Las Vegas at a national sales convention. I want to tell you this because uh, several things that illustrates of how this was 2005. So he was beginning to incorporate a lot of these things. He and I had a relationship, a friend, and he called me his mentor. And one thing I want to underscore for you who are listening, and Steve would tell you this, don't go it alone. Find someone who's a little farther down the road than you spiritually. Hang on to that person. I was scheduled to speak, Las Vegas, 2005. First session was on Wednesday. All the week leading up to it, he had been in battle with his boss about all kinds of things in his presentation. Uh, He spent a half an hour on the phone ridiculing me, yelling and cussing me, telling me I was screwing up everything, especially the shade of color for the wording of a title on one of the slides. One slide. He was furious because the bullet points on that slide were one-fourth of an inch offline from where he thought they would be. Now, God brought Steve a blessed succession of bosses that tested him in many, many different ways. And and I can tell you that Steve worked through those difficulties and became a supportive friend to each of his bosses. And they were not apparently pleasant people. He goes on at the start... I had just spent a lot of time talking to my friend Doug about issues and the convention. Uh, During the previous month, we talked at least four times about these problems uh, and about how I rate his boss. And Doug said, this is way over the top. This is obvious. Sit back and let's watch God work. So he went there, stayed at Las Vegas Rio Hotel and Casino. Uh, Mid-morning, he was getting ready for his session when things went very wrong. I walked to the conference room to check on the Microsoft microphone, headset, projector, make sure everything. But the people at Rio hadn't set up anything on the stage. Now, he had two sessions, and his were the largest because he was a national sales trainer. Um, I found out they had been setting up the small rooms for the afternoon sessions, but not the one I was leading that morning. I left the room and found my boss, the person who had been assaulting me on the phone. I told him what was going on. He accused me of being the problem because I should have started setting things up by myself instead of coming to him and complaining and wasting his time. 
I was furious. After all, <clears throat> I didn't have the equipment that belonged to the hotel. I didn't have permission to use it. There was less than a half an hour to get set up. I couldn't find anybody to help set it up. Finally, uh, could, uh, finally, they began to set up a little bit of the equipment. And he used a lot of video and audio stuff. Uh, the boss told me the main thing was not to bother him about it. Uh, because, uh, let's see, they were on a tight schedule. And his, uh, this was his first seminar. It became obvious that my boss who was the director of training, had forgotten to tell the hotel to prepare my session. <clears throat> this guy was a piece of work. He even went to the corporation's senior vice president and tried to make it look like I was the one who screwed up. When I finally walked to the front of the room to begin the session, the senior vice president said something very rude to me on his way to talk. I was so mad I started shaking. I considered grabbing the microphone and telling the group who caused this disaster and what the VP had just said to me. I even thought of telling the group while on stage that I was quitting my job. He said I wrestled with the temptation to quit my job right there, started the session, and the session was a disaster. He finally tried to get some of the equipment to work. It didn't work. It wouldn't work. He couldn't. All of his major points were supported by video, and nothing worked. Uh, <clears throat> And they, they spent time f f fiddling with the technical stuff. Um, nothing worked. Uh, I usually mingle with people after my sessions. Not this time. When it ended, I went upstairs and planned to bail out of the entire conference and fly back to Colorado. And then he says, I went out to the pool. He decided to stay. Uh, while I was sitting in the pool, I decided to call my friend Doug. I phoned Doug and told him about the whole thing. I still remember the phone call. See, he's a funny guy, by the way. I mean, all kinds of disastrous things are always happening to him. <laughs> In camp, the motto was always watch, no matter what's going on, watch Steve. Um, Doug listened and reflected to me, recognizing that what had happened was a genuine disaster. He asked me what I was going to do for the rest of the convention. I mentioned quitting my job told him I was supposed to do another huge session on Wednesday called The Complete Salesperson Going From Good to Great. It was really a good session, but I'd lost interest in doing it. <clears throat> Doug asked me an odd question. What do you think God had to do with all this stuff? Doug kept asking me really good questions about where God was in all this. Does he care about our lives and fears? Is he always available to redeem things? and do the miraculous. Now, see, I was just asking questions. You just need somebody in your life who will ask you questions, tough questions, about what God is doing in the situation. I reassessed things, stopped repeating the disaster in my mind. I remembered the times God had rescued me. I realized every previous national convention was always marked by similar scenarios, but God always worked it out. God suggested I... Doug suggested I spend some time with God and ask for insights. He told me this fiasco might just be an incredible setup for me to knock it out of the park on Wednesday. I could handle this in a different way. I could go off in a rage, I could, or I could bail out and hide, or I could stand in the middle path. And this is another principle of Steve's, and it's explained in here. The middle path. Doug said he could see me walking attendees through what I'd experienced Monday and emphasizing the process of either going uh, aggressive, angry, upset, or passive, hiding and running. It hit the nail on the head, every thought I'd wrestled the day before. It became clear that I should tell the group about my experience, not what my bosses did wrong, but simply my part. And I begin, um, it's our character and true desire to help others uh, to be a good salesperson. So, in other words, how many times, if you're a salesperson or wherever you work, how many times on your job do you have a disaster? I mean, things go wrong. Don't you wish you knew what to do in those kind of situations? How to see what God is doing in the situation, how to keep your cool, how to have God's peace and wisdom and love like Steve did when his son was arrested for shooting a guy. And in that, if you can stay on the middle path, of God's way, 
you will stand there with wisdom and strength and compassion and maybe be able to influence the situation. But if not, at least you're not completely disrupted by the whole thing. So, uh, later that day, <clears throat> oh wait, well, I, when I did the session on Wednesday, I started with the story about Monday's complete failure. So he admitted and described, and most of the people had been there and seen it. They saw how mad he was, how uncomfortable he was, and he told them about it. I kept my presentation positive, and my colleagues were applauding the concepts I discussed. I'd never experienced people applauding during a training session about sales concepts. <clears throat> it was mind-blowing. When I finished the workshop, the room erupted with applause, and many people came up afterward telling me it was incredible. Even my director told me it was great. So what he did, he went over what happened Monday, <clears throat> and he told them how he had gone off on the aggressive side and then on the passive side, and how he had come back, and how he was responding in this situation after disaster when his intention or his, uh, his, his uh, direction would have been to completely leave and quit his job. And so he gave them a step-by-step to hope. Uh, later that day, the director and that same VP did a session together and spent a lot of time talking about my seminar and convincing people to get involved with me. Go to Steve's training. And those were the guys who were giving him such a hard time. He talks about the event wheel in here. You'll get a copy of this book. And you, you want to see how he used the event wheel in this situation to be able to capture the negative thoughts that would have taken him into the toilet and be able to stand with uh, peace and confidence and God's love and watch God work things together. So I'm going to bring a couple of guys up, one at a time. Jake, uh, why don't you come up? You want to hand me that mic there? Uh, Jake was in Steve's Tuesday night group, and Jake can tell you that a lot of his life now, uh, good parts anyway, yeah. are probably a result of having been discipled by Steve. Definitely, this. yeah. So tell us about it. No, I, um, I was in uh, Steve's group along with a couple of the other guys over here, and uh, Doug asked me just to kind of reflect on a couple of things that I remember from Steve. And uh, I guess one of the things I do remember um, revolved around him constantly saying things like you talked about earlier, that God loves us. And do you realize how much God loves you? I mean, God, yeah, God was there, and Steve was always trying to remind us of that. And he would just try to talk and try to comprehend that fact and try to make it um, just every time. It was one of the things he would say all the time. But... Um, I started joining the men's group after transitioning back from uh, from Grand Junction, where I was living. Uh, for many years, I was I was back there, and I had uh, had some stuff that happened. As I came back to Carbondale, I brought with me a lot of like mental and emotional baggage. I had some failed relationships, and was changing careers at the time, and was trying to redefine my identity. But um, the fact that Steve invited me to a group, I thought that was maybe a good opportunity, and you know, maybe talking about camping and hunting and guns would kind of be just what I needed. But uh, instead, Steve kept hammering the fact that God loves me. Don't focus on the negative. Don't focus on the negative. And one of our guys in the group also talked, um, he said it was uh, stinking thinking. That was his name. When your mind just kind of gets that negative route. But I thought it was just a pretty simple concept. And, um, and I actually kind of got frustrated because I'm like, Steve, it's Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. But uh, um, we would often just sit there and just focus on that for an uncomfortable amount of time. And so uh, <laughs> it was just kind of, kind of awkward, such a, a simple fact, too. But I kept wondering why it was such a big deal and why everybody was talking about it. But it was ultimately with that repetition and with that concept and being able to connect the simple phrase to so many areas of my own life that it, it started to change things and it started to break down those walls and those barriers that I had set up. And the majority of all my baggage was kind of just resentment against other people. And uh, with that simple concept, I was able to realize that it was that concept that eventually um, my faith was able to change and, and it was that concept which my you know, religion was hinged on. So uh, the fact that God loves me then began to affect everything else around me. And uh, 
I was able to kind of understand um, a sense of inner strength um, that comes from receiving love is just as important as giving it. And that opening your heart to that fact allows you to be open to others around you. So um, all the stuff you were talking about, Steve, is just, it's just great to hear it again from this perspective and definitely want to recommend the book to you guys if you haven't checked it out. So, Thank you, Jake. Yeah. <clears throat> you might wonder, why are we having a, why are we having a sermon on a guy um, who was such a bozo anyway? Uh, you know, but his life really exhibited so much from God. Um, we, I asked Charlie if I could do this message back in January when Steve was uh, supposedly going to go into hospice. And his daughter and I didn't know exactly, you know, how this is going to work. Uh, and so finally, I mean, Steve got a lot better, and he's healthy now. And Charlie said, well, go ahead and do the message. Let's go ahead and do this one. I want you to know that I, I probably talked to or saw Steve every day for most of uh, 17 years. And uh, this, the life that he was able to fulfill and find didn't come easy or cheap. Um, he spent time every day in the Word of God. He spent time in prayer, and he would spend time journaling. I don't really know any shortcuts when it comes to this because you're getting so many messages every day from the media that are contrary to the message that God loves you and he'll work all things to the good and keep no record of wrongs. Spend that, if Steve were here today, he would tell you, you got to spend that time, right guys? you got to spend that time with God every day. But Geek, come up and tell us a little bit more about uh, Steve's impact on you. So I'm going to share... Uh how Steve impacted me with Romans 8, but before I do that, you have to know a little bit more about Steve to understand the impact that he makes on a person. Um, Steve's other known names are the scum, scumbag, and my favorite one, scummy, which our pastor right here uh, coined. So um, he's He's a one-of-a-kind character. First um, Corinthians one twenty-five says that God shows the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. And that's pretty much how we feel about Steve. Um, so some of his favorite pastimes are throwing boulders off cliffs, 2,000-foot cliffs, and listening to them explode. Um, and uh, next slide, he likes to uh, ventilate uh, people's camping equipment. Um, I guess it's hard to see the bullet holes there, but um, I think that shirt actually might have been his own, but make no mistake, he would definitely shoot stoves and Howard Conkey's hat and all kinds of other stuff. Actually, I think there's one more slide uh, with a, yeah, that's, I guess that's his chair. He decided it needed to be ventilated. Uh, anyway, so uh, he liked to burn garbage, plastic. Anyway, he was a great guy. Um, so that was my introduction to Steve White, was basically some serious debauchery in the wild. But um, as I started camping with him and Doug, it became clear that, that Steve really knows the Lord and loves the Lord a lot. Like, yes, he has this crazy, ridiculous side and then this super serious knows Jesus side. And so anyway, I'm going to tell you about Romans 8, 28. We've already heard it, but go ahead and throw that slide up, Peter, if you would. Um, one of the things I've really enjoyed, and I think this is due to both Steve and Doug, is reading scriptures in different uh, translations. Um, and so I put up Romans 8, 28 in both the NIV, the message, the New Living Trans... Tran New Living Translation, sorry. Um, because I really... they just different words just catch you a different way. Um, but I'll read the message just because we haven't heard that one yet. Um, so it says, that's why we can be so sure 
that every detail of our lives of love for God is working into something good. Um, so just real quickly, I'm going to tell you how God um, made this real in my life. Um, Romans 8.28. So uh, in order for you to understand that, uh, Time Magazine, this is yesterday's edition, um, says that depression affects 16 million Americans. Um, I'm one of those people, one of those 16 million. I read a different one that said one in five. That seems a little high. Um, but if, if I take you back to February of 2014, um, I was basically struggling with deep depression, anxiety, panic attacks, nightmares, vertigo, on and on. And the guys that have been walking with me, you know this. Um, and really, kind of the only reprieve for me was camping and just spending time outside with God and with some good guys. Um, and I think as I was trying to resolve um, these things, depression, anxiety, nightmares, panic attacks, um, I kept saying, well, how is God going to work those for good? I mean, those are just bad, period. Um, so at the time, you know, I would read the scripture, and I think in my head, it was purely just head knowledge. You know, it was like, okay, God, I know your word's true, and I know everything in scripture's true, but I don't really believe this. I mean, how can I? I mean, my life sucks. It's terrible. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, well, fast forward to now, which it's basically three years later, and let me just tell you a couple things. Um, I could go on and on for 10 minutes, but I won't. Um, but here's a few things that God has done, how he's worked my depression, anxiety, nightmares, panic attacks, and vertigo for the good. And, and just so you guys know, I still have regular nightmares. Um, I feel like I just get attacked almost every night. I don't have panic attacks or anxiety, and the vertigo, thank God, is gone. I think Doug Stewart might have uh, prayed for me and healed me there. Um, but I still, depression, most days I'm good, but some days aren't so good. Anyway, so here's, here's what God has brought out of my depression, the good. Uh, my marriage is stronger than it's ever been. Um, I just celebrated nine years. Um, instead of, yeah, <laughs> amen. And, yeah, yeah, where is Holly? Did she run off? Oh, there she is. Love you, honey. Um, instead of my depression causing us to get divorced, uh, it actually brought us closer, which I think, again, with God in the center, that's the only way that's possible um, with how difficult I was to deal with. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what a normal person would have done. But uh, for what, what I've realized is that I can rely on my wife for emotional support. Uh, for the first time in my life, I've kind of let someone all the way in, and it's scary, and it's vulnerable, and it's also the biggest blessing I have in my life. Um, we now get to work together on a daily basis, and she's able to support me emotionally and, and in other ways. And in, on the flip side, she gets to gets quality time, which is her love language. And so she gets lots of me, which I don't know why you would want that, but you'll, you'll have to ask my wife because that's what she wants. So anyway, so the, there's some good stuff. Um, and then this one is really dear to my heart. Um, and I, I won't do the third one. I'll just do this, the second one, so we can stay on track. But um, joy. Uh, Pastor Doug talked about joy a little bit, and joy has always eluded me. I've, I've never understood what joy was. I've never understood how you get it, what it really means. Um, and, you know, I think in my, before, like three years ago, I would say, you know, I would have little snippets of joy and little snippets of happiness, but nothing really foundational. And I can honestly say now I, I have joy. Um, and honestly, what, what, it, what the depression has taught me is to live in the moment, that the moment 
is much scarier because you don't have it all planned out. You don't have it figured out. You, what I used to do is think about everything and try to figure it out. How's this going to pan out? What, what do I need to do to get this outcome, the outcome I want? And now I have to show up and kind of sort of have the courage to just live in the moment and just show up and see what happens. And you know what? It's great. It's so much more exciting. It's an adventure. It's fun. And, and I don't think you can experience joy in the past or the future. It's, it's, a, it's a present thing. It's, it's living for God in the moment. And so, um, so I would say there's now a deep joy that just sort of penetrates um, my daily walk. And I, I don't think I would have had it otherwise because when all you do is think about what's going to happen or how things are going to work out or this isn't, or like Steve said, just replaying these negative thoughts over and over in your head, what does that lead to? Anxiety, you know, um, <laughs> not joy. So, um, and I think, I think just lastly, just to sum it up, um, you know, this experience has definitely humbled me and I think given me a deeper compassion for people and I realize how many guys I know personally who struggle with this and it's been so great to just be able to talk to them and help them and they help me and just walk through it together and realize that God can work really bad things for good. Um, so anyway, just to wrap it up, um, I think... You know, for Steve, <laughs> you know, he's obviously having mental problems. Um, it's not depression, but he's got some sort of dementia. And But I think the thing that impacts me most about Steve is that even though he's basically lost everything, um, including kind of his mind, um, he still knows the Lord and still loves him. I mean, he's still deeply... Like, that's the thing that has not been stripped away. Um, and the guy still lives with joy, even though, you know, he can't do a lot of stuff. And I think that's, that's how Steve has impacted me the most, is just realizing that our faith transcends everything else. You know, it's, it's the core. And it was the core of his life. And I'm better off for knowing him, even though he's a scumbag. <laughs> Love you, Steve. You've got to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge. I think we may have a little medical issue over here. Do we need to evacuate this person? Okay. Okay, we've got uh, paramedics coming in in a moment. A lady over here apparently succumbed to Brian's message. Uh, but right now, though, while, while we're moving on, and we, Father, we pray that you bless this person right here, restore this person. Whatever's going on, that you rectify that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we have this book is so important. We want everyone to have at least one copy. If you're not going to read it, take it, give it to someone else. And take two copies. This book is so important. We brought Presbyterians in to, <laughs> to hand this book out. Would you guys just go to the back? And there's books, there's boxes of books back there. We got them in the in the up there, I want to tell you just sort of the, the final thing on Steve here as we're moving on. Yeah, and so go to every aisle over here to the left, guys. Over here. There you go. All the way over to the other side, too. Rob was going to direct this crew, but obviously Rob is busy right here doing the paramedic thing. Um, hey, some of you Presbyterian guys, go over here where Bob is. There's more books over here. On the other side, take a bunch, pass them out. Uh, John, you want to come and take this and start passing them out up here? Get Pam to help, maybe. Steve lost his job in 2012, and uh, about that time, his dementia began progressive and gradually. Uh, and there's somebody right there who will help you. As he lost his job and income, he actually got to the point where he was on food stamps and uh, whatever other assistance there, things there are, and with the dementia. 
But when he got the dementia, he would be adamant. He said, God told me I would be able to use this to help other people. Don't pray that I be relieved of this. Pray that God will use me to help people with problems, whatever those problems are. That was Steve's intention when he got himself unblinded. So if you'll, yeah, pass those along. Hey, everyone take one. And we're going to be checking at the door to make sure you walk out with a book. Take two or three, take five or ten. This book will walk you through the process, what happened with Steve, how he moved from being a jerk to being a godly man, admired and respected by many, many people. We'll let them get some more passed out. All right. Make sure every row has plenty. If you only have one, raise your hand. I think you can see today that although the story is about Steve, it actually is about Jesus, power of the Holy Spirit, God's love in and through him. Now, we will be having some paramedics come in and take this person out. But while that happens, we are going to be praying for that person. And you can also be invited to come to the communion table where there is the bread that Jesus said, this is my body broken for you. The cup, Jesus said, this is my blood and new covenant for you. So let's just take this time. We'll have some music in the background and kind of let things happen. Um, but hey, whatever's going on here, and we really want to see this person taken care of, don't let the message that God spoke to your heart today be lost. Lock it in. God loves you like he loves Jesus. God works all things to the good. And even in this situation right here. So let's just uh, take this time to meditate. Think on what God has done for us.